Welcome to my reading of The Raven Throne, book four of Starside Saga. Please consider buying a copy at Amazon, Nook, Barnes & Noble. Uh, Nook is Barnes & Noble. Kobo, Apple Books. It's also available in paperback. Chapter 11. Kills Own Fire. Drawing her blade, she ran and leapt, black silencing the sound of her feet crashing onto the Atlan barn roof. She knew the boys slept in the loft. She smacked the hilt on the tin roof. Better get out of there. Don't smash coming. It made no sound, of course. Black muted everything she did. Sighing, she sheathed the blade and thumped her fist on the roof. Come out, boys. The watch is at your door. A mumble and a crash of something below was followed by the appearance of two cats through a rusted hole in the roof. One was a portly black fuzzball called Lop, the other an orange short hair called Huff. She knew Lop was Fallow's cat. She also knew it didn't do anything for free. She yanked a bit of bread from her pocket and offered it up. The cat sniffed at it, then gobbled it down. Not five seconds later, the boys appeared. You've done it now, Fallow said. Lop will be your friend for the next few minutes. The boys crept to the edge of the roof and looked over. Henley immediately slunk back out of view of the men on the street. That's him, he said. The bearded Donesmaster with the little wooden stick in his belt. He's the one who caught me the first time. Fallow flashed his thick black eyebrow and headed for a jump across the alley. Henley followed, cats arcing across behind. Quinn would never have believed the jump possible for such small animals. She brought up the rear and soon discovered the lads were not about to go slow on her account. Wait, she called after them. Where's Kyla? Henley waited for her at the end of the next jump, standing by an overstuffed pad of burlap, put there for the very purpose of breaking a roof runner's fall. Beyond him, Fallow dumped two coins into a tin pail. When Quinn landed and rolled to her feet, he jerked his head toward it. Pay up, or one day you'll get a flick bolt in your back as a gift. Where's Kyla? she prompted as she fished in her pouch for a copper plug. She didn't have anything smaller than a silver. She crouched by the pail. Is there a way to open this bucket to make change? Fallow snorted and shook his head in disgust. Quinn didn't think it fair. His family had enough money to buy most of the lower slope. Henley's had two once. Kyla wasn't with us, Henley said. He wore no look of humor or disgust at Quinn's lack of small money. She dropped in a silver plug and decided to stop in later to tell the building owner she had a credit account going on his rooftop. Where is she? She asked it to the wind, for the boys were already across the roof and launching themselves into air. Quinn pursued, now getting a bit annoyed with the lads. She had done them a good turn, warning them of the approaching danger. The least they could do was answer a simple question. The Donesmaster and the guard were far behind, probably not even aware their quarry had fled. Now it became a chase to keep the boys in sight. She lost. Discouraged and sick of leaping and landing so hard that her teeth jarred in her jaw, she climbed down behind the Yin Inn and proceeded up the street, wondering what she'd tell the cloak. He would have to understand, she supposed. It wasn't her fault that Kyla hadn't been at the Atlan barn. Her stomach soured. The cloak would consider her failure to keep up with Fallow and Henley as a sign of poor physical conditioning. She had only trained with him once, 
and that had left her so exhausted and sore that she couldn't ride a horse for a week or comfortably sit at the dinner table. Her mother had been mightily suspicious, but Quinn's excuse of having fallen down the stairs had kept her off the truth. Quinn moseyed up the street of sorrows, absently looking in shop windows at the wares for sale. Nothing particularly interesting, for Quinn had more clothes and things than she had use for. Plus, she didn't particularly enjoy wearing skirted garments anymore. They made sneaking around unnecessarily difficult. Still, that black cape there was a fine twill. It would give her that roguish look that the cloak favored. It would keep the rain off, too. Quinn became so caught up in how dashing she'd look in it, she didn't notice the boys standing on either side of her until she saw their reflections in the glass. Follow us, Fallow said. She did, winding into the alleyways that cut behind the main shops on this stretch of the sorrows. They hopped onto refuse bins and forced her to climb back onto the roofway. They came to a rooftop garden, trellis and planters all bare. A skim of snow covered all in a lovely frosting. I don't know where Kyla is, Henley said. We were talking about coming to your house to ask about her, but we were worried your armsmen might put whip axes through our necks. That wasn't an unreasonable worry. So the force of destiny has brought us together, she said. The cats appeared and found a warm spot by a chimney pipe. I suppose I can tell you what I was going to tell her. She proceeded to relay all that she had heard of the Hargath's conversation with her mother. She left out the part about Kyla being a shadline bearer. So you're saying the Hargath is your uncle? Henley's face darkened and Fallow's eyebrow bunched into a hideous V over his nose. The boy looked like a villain. If she hadn't known better, she would have avoided him, or used black on his throat just for the evilness of his countenance. And that bothered her. Ori favored many with beauty. Quinn had been told she'd been gifted more than her fair share. But the gentle goddess also gifted hearts with beauty. Many did not receive both blessings. Could an ill-favored man match the worth of a handsome one? Quinn knew at least a dozen scions of radiance who could make girls giggle themselves silly with a mere rakish look, but she wouldn't trust a single one of them to guard a winter night pie. Then there were boys like Winster Gret, a boy with an oddly proportioned body, a head too big, a nose too bulbous, and a torso so short it looked like his legs joined just under his ribcage. But he was not only smart, he was kind and funny and generous of heart. In this, it seemed, Fallow had been blessed with character at total odds with his face. And now that the full ugliness of his face was aimed at her, she felt achy inside, for judging him and for keeping her relationship to the Hargath a secret. Yes, he is my uncle, she finally answered. I am not any happier about it than you are. I had never seen him before today. He asked my mother to help him summon a domain. He claims one stole his beloved one. That has to be Nex, right? Domain? Fallow said, voice rising in pitch. By killing the Muses Five, what is Kyla up to now? Is she a Domainser on top of all the rest? Quinn looked for a place to sit, but the available surfaces were covered with snow. She sat on a ledge anyway, the damp quickly adding to the growing chill already in her bones. Kyla is no Domainser, Henley said but I wouldn't put it past her to go looking for one. 
Rajan once told me a domain had come to their room in the novitiate's ward. It took Kyla in a great swirl of green light, and then she was gone. Kyla must have sought one's help. Doesn't sound like it worked, Fallow said. He still hadn't relaxed his stare of death toward Quinn. I helped you get Kyla and Hen out of the abbey, Quinn said to him, and at great expense to my reputation, not to mention my allowance. I had to make a real contribution to the way of Till to smooth things over for the disturbance I made. Thankfully, they never connected me to your part in it. Tell me, why would I do that if I had any loyalty to my disgusting uncle? Will your mother help him? Fallow asked. This was where it got weird. She will. I know that look she gets when she thinks she's got someone in a weak position. She will have negotiated something fantastic, and if they came to an agreement, she will honor her part in it. Where is Kyla now? Henley asked. Quinn was irritated by the question. If she knew, she wouldn't be freezing her arse off on this rooftop. But then she realized the boys had turned to look at their cats. Henley turned back to her. Huff says that Ollie told him that Kyla is heading to the Citadel with a don'ts master. Who? Ollie doesn't know. He's someone she's spoken with several times before. He has a hiding spot that makes Kyla fade from Ollie's mind. He likes it when she goes there so he doesn't have to hear her stupid thoughts. He's not a very nice cat, is he? Fallow and Henley both whistled at the same time. Not at all. Then they both laughed. Fallow scratched the black thatch of hair on his head and gazed toward the citadel. Why would she go up there? Tell Ollie to ask her, Quinn said. He's not close enough to her to ask, and he wasn't curious enough to ask before she got out of range. Well, send him after her. They laughed again, Henley's face turning bright red. Fallow had snaggly teeth, so when he laughed, he looked like a painting of a Nazk Quinn's father had once shown her. You louts are simply afraid to ask Ollie to do what he should do. Afraid? Not at all, Fallow said. But Lop won't do it for less than half an atlan, roasted and salted. Henley nodded. Huff said your idea is like trying to chew off his own tail. What a peculiar expression. But Quinn understood. Everyone tolerated Ollie's bad behavior. That left a simple answer. I guess I'm going to the Citadel. Thank you, lads, for your help. She ran to the ledge and jumped. It was a bad leap, and she had to claw just to catch the roof edge across the alley. Her legs and body slammed into the brick wall. She lost her grip, and she fell fifteen feet to the ice-covered alleyway. Nothing broke, but she didn't think her knees would ever be the same. The boys dropped down next to her. Fallow took her elbow and helped steady her. Henley brushed her knees, which strictly speaking, was a horrible breach of etiquette, but she didn't mind. And you call yourself a shadline, Henley said. I've seen one-legged chickens hop farther than that. She gave him a cold glare, which earned her a deep reddening in Henley's cheeks. He mumbled an apology, which she accepted with a curt nod. I slipped, she said. Fallow snickered. I'll say. He rushed on as her frosty eyes turned toward him. It happens to the best of us. Now, about that plan of yours to go to the Citadel, do you expect to walk up there and ask for Kyla? I didn't have a plan. She said it with more heat than it deserved. Once she'd heard herself, she shrugged irritably, finding her cloak a bit too tight around her shoulders all of a sudden. 
She was in an awkward situation. To please the cloak, she needed to bring Kyla in for the oaths, but to keep her freedom and her head attached to her neck, she couldn't barge into the citadel making demands. If we knew what she was up to, maybe we could figure out a more sensible course of action. A shadow filled the end of the alley. Two men of the watch turned in, flanking a gray-bearded donesmaster. The man held his short wooden rod out. Henley's body went rigid. Quinn caught him by the arm as he fell. Fallow grabbed the other. They shuffled away, carrying Henley's weight between them. Put the lad down, the donesmaster commanded. He stepped forward, rod raised. Quinn's skin tingled. You have no cause to attack this boy, she said in a voice she hoped sounded like her mother's, imperious and not to be trifled with. The donesmaster nodded for the watchmen to approach. They did so, swords drawn. So that's how it was, Quinn thought. I am Lady Quinn Pauline. Return to your commander in the West Bunk and report yourselves for bearing steel in my presence. And you, donesmaster, will return to the Abbey and await word from Highest Benel about your penance. The guards paused, but the donesmaster merely laughed. Take the girl, too, and kill the ugly one. The watchmen wore burnished breastplate and thick red cloaks that swept behind them as they flung out their offhands to prepare for sword work. Both had thick mustaches and corded necks. Quinn and Fallow continued backward, dragging the immobile Henley after them, his heels scraping on the slick alley stonework. Behind them was the intersection with another alleyway. There had been four watchmen at the Atlin barn. Quinn guessed the other two were working their way behind them. Let's set him down, Quinn said. I need my knife hand free. Fallow helped her ease Henley down, keeping a sharp eye on the approaching men. They had the slow, wary steps of men approaching a feral dog they meant to put down, not afraid, but wisely cautious lest they get bit. Well, these men would feel Quinn's bite before she would let them drag her or Henley away. Fallow pulled a dagger from his belt. It looked like it hadn't seen a hone or oil in a century. He gripped it lightly, showing he had at least some training in its use. Quinn wished she'd had more training than the one session with the cloak, in truth, she was much more accomplished with flourishes, twirls, and spins than she was with outright stabbing and slashing. She did understand the basic principle, which was to cause as much pain and blood loss as possible, but anyone would know that intuitively. The cloak had spent most of their time teaching her to parry. Her foe's swing came abruptly from below. The upward stroke caught her by surprise, forcing her to lean away. Her heel caught on Henley's leg, spilling her onto her backside. The guard blurted out a laugh and stood over her, sword point pressing between her breasts. Drop the blade, lass. I mean to take you intact. T'would be a shame to mar your lovely skin. But if you force me to defend myself, Duncurl will be my witness that I had no choice but to lop off your head. The problem with men like this, Quinn thought, was that they believed their own flawed logic. If he killed her, or even wounded her, his life was forfeit. A Radiant's daughter was not immune to the law, but her death at the hands of the Watch would never go unanswered by her mother. Even the other Radiants, no great lovers of House Pauline, would demand his blood. The consequences to this man would be violent and swift. But all of that would be no consolation to poor dead Quinn. 
She lowered her knife to one side, pinching the hilt lightly between thumb and forefinger to show that she was not preparing a surprise stroke. The moment had frozen Fallow and the other man. Both watched the tense moment of decision with quick flicks of their eyes. The don'ts master stood behind all, his wooden rod still raised. The sound of bootfalls resounded in the alleyway behind Quinn. The other two guards were nearly there. She had been defeated. She had failed. And it looked like she was going to die, for in her oaths she had sworn never to relinquish her shadline blade. She set the knife on the ground. The watchman said, Shove it away from you. Fallow, I'm sorry. She reached to the blade, shoved the pommel so that, instead of sliding away from her, it rotated in place. Catching it by the tip, she snapped her wrist, sending the blade spinning toward her opponent. He had time to blink once, but the timing of the rotations was off. The pommel bonked into his eyebrow. Not the killing eye shot she had hoped for. But it must have hurt like kills on fire, because the man recoiled, lifting his sword point from Quinn's chest. She was already crabbing backward, out of range should he recover quickly enough to strike. He didn't. Black had rebounded from his head and tumbled to the ground. It bounced from the pommel and twirled toward Quinn. It was Paul's brightest smile yet. Quinn snatched her weapon out of the air and leapt to her feet. She was peripherally aware of Fallow turning and jabbing at his opponent. The Donesmaster was shouting orders to the men approaching from Quinn's rear. Her foe was swearing and pressing his free palm to his eyebrow ridge. A trickle of blood seeped between his fingers. He stamped his feet and bashed his hilt against his breastplate. His eyes were full of murder now. Swords rang as they came out of sheaths behind her. She didn't chance a glance. The lumbering guard was winding up for a swing. Anger had overridden his training, which didn't speak too well of his training. She easily dodged a blow that would have severed an Atlan's neck. Spinning, she ducked under his blow and shouldered into his flank. In the same motion, she brought Black upward, tip slipping just under the bottom of his breastplate. The shadline blade easily parted the mail underneath and plunged into his abdomen. She gave a twist as she withdrew the blade. Blood came out with it. She blinked, momentarily horrified by what she'd done. His elbow caught her head, dislodging any regret. She returned the favor with another upward thrust, this one catching him under the chin. Black drove in as easily as slicing fresh bread. The man's body went rigid, and he fell toward her. She backpedaled out of the way, and he landed on Henley, who didn't move so much as an eyelid in reaction. A cry arose behind her and was instantly cut off. The sound of bodies striking pavement followed. The Donesmaster was running the other way. Quinn turned and found the cloak standing in the alley his black cape billowing behind him. He held his shadline sword at his side, the edges licked with red flame. The two guards who had been closing from the rear lay dead, both separated from their sword arms and their heads. Fallow was retreating from his opponent, who swung with wild abandon as if trying to bash a name-day paper nosg apart to collect the rock candy inside. Fallow leapt back with every swing, surprisingly agile for one of such a lanky and awkward form. He didn't know the cloak was watching. The Shadline Master made no move to help. 
Quinn made a face and motioned at the watchman. When the cloak didn't do anything, she gave him a perplexed look. Are you just going to let him get carved up? I owe him no protection. Quinn darted behind the swordsman, who was now circling to put Fallow's back to the wall. She lunged and severed the tendons at the back of his knee. That put him on the ground. She stepped in, drew black across his throat, and stepped back to avoid the splatter that followed. Fallow wasn't so fortunate and got his face bloodied. He moved aside, wiping the man's lifeblood from his demonic visage. That's when he noticed the cloak, who was studying him with great curiosity. Who in Kill's name are you? Fallow said. Henley stirred, no longer under the power of the Dunstmaster's Mercosine relic. Quinn helped him sit up. The guard who had fallen on him had bled all over Henley's cloak. He made a face as he flicked blood from it. That Dunstmaster was after me. I knew that would happen. I just thought I'd have more time. Why does a Dunstmaster want you? The cloak said. He was still looking at Fallow, eyes unblinking. Quinn noticed his gaze was not on Fallow's face, but locked on the boy's rusty dagger. I am apparently a budding Merculin, Henley said ruefully. Then you should go to the garden and train. I would recommend against joining the Way of Till, however. The cloak lost interest in Henley's problem. He moved like a cat toward Fallow, not going directly, but sweeping in an arc, his eyes not once leaving the blade. Where did you get that knife? Fallow raised it. It's a long story. You will come with me and tell me your story in the minutest detail. Because there was a stranger around, the cats had not come down from the rooftop to inspect the boys. Henley was throwing nervous glances between the cloak and the alley entrance. Quinn leaned close. You should go. I know this man. He is an ally. But he must discuss things of great importance with Fallow. I recommend you return to the baths for the time being. Fallow and I will come to collect you. You can both stay at the Radiance City House tonight. Fallow had an uncomfortable look on his face as he endured the intense scrutiny of a swordsman holding a flaming blade. Quinn had been in this position once. She had come by Black through a very odd circumstance, just after discovering Elise Hayali's murdered body in a hedge maze. The cloak had come shortly after. That Fallow's blade might be Shadline seemed utterly ridiculous. All the examples she'd seen so far were exquisite weapons, the pinnacle of craftsmanship. His dagger looked the opposite. Henley climbed to the roofway and disappeared. The strange standoff between Fallow and the cloak had turned into a simple battle of gazes. A dawning of understanding was creeping over Fallow's face. He dropped his gaze to the dagger. This thing? A shadline? His hand went to his jacket, pressed on the breast pocket, as if remembering something in it that now made sense. He lifted his caterpillar eyebrow. Truly? We shall return to this morning's meeting room. Come, Quinn. She went to Fallow and guided him by the arm. They didn't need to be hanging around dead guards when the Don'tsmaster returned with more troops. This is a great privilege, she said to Fallow, but do not expect it to be easy. She caught up to the cloak. He didn't acknowledge her. You didn't know of Fallow's blade either, she said. That makes two Shadline blades that have appeared in Starside with no known history. You have learned to count. Impressive, Quinn. One day you may even learn to add. 
This new blade is a marvel, yes, but I see naught but dire omens in it. The force of destiny moves all toward great changes. The Shadlines may soon be called. Called? By whom? For what? He didn't answer. <laughs>